Hey, I turn your attention to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4 and verse 16. I want to give a shout out to brother and sister Leonard, who I love so much. God bless you guys. Pastored for many, many years, retired. Love you guys and your family very much. Uh, the revelation of restoration. That's what we're going to be talking about today. The revelation of restoration. We start the month of May with a new well to dig from. We've been digging out of different wells each month as we work our way through the 12 wells of 2019. And um, this month is Restore. So I want to talk to you today about the revelation of restoration. Paul writing to Timothy says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The definition of restore or restoration is the action of returning something to a former owner, to a former place or a former condition. The action of returning something to a former owner, a former place, or a former condition. Just for kicks, I wanted to also know what the definition of store was, because all these different wells that we have dug from in these first four and now part of the fifth month of this year have been an effort of doing something again, which is what the prefix of re is. Renew, rejoy, remember. And now we look at restore. So I wanted to know what the definition of store was. And the definition of store is a quantity or supply of something kept for use as needed. A quantity or supply of something kept for use as needed. When you go into the stores of America, there is a lot of inventory. And what's amazing is a lot of it is never sold. I was in uh, Publix last week around 15 minutes till 9. My wife was at the ladies' conference and the kids were looking at me like, what are we going to eat? And so we decided to go to Publix and get deli sandwiches. They said they close at 9, Dad. I said, okay, well, let's jump on the car. We can get there in five minutes. So we did, and we went to the deli area and started ordering our rotisserie chicken and deli sandwiches and so forth. And there was a lady there with a big cart 
And she was taking all of the little plastic containers of, of uh, potato salad and all those sides that you get. And she was loading them up in boxes and on this big cart. And I was standing there waiting, you know, uh, for my deli number to be called. And so I started a conversation with this young lady and I said, do you guys bring in all fresh, you know, potato salad and all this? You bring it in fresh every day? She said, oh, yeah, all of this hasn't been uh, sold today. So we take it all off the shelves because all the new stuff's coming in tomorrow. It'll be all brand new. And the next day and the next day, and I said, wow, that's amazing. No wonder this stuff tastes so good. It's fresh every day. And then I said, out of curiosity, what happens to all the stuff that's going on the cart? I'm thinking, you know, that should go to Hands for Healing or something, you know. I figured it got donated to Second Harvest or some group. She said, no, all of this is all thrown away. I mean, there was enough food there to feed a small nation. I've been in enough third world countries to know that people would have stood in line for all that food. But we are so blessed in America that we throw away more food than a lot of nations have. God has been good to us. How many of you can raise your hand and say God has been good to you? This week I was in Cuba with a couple of other pastors and they, uh, there was a guy that was giving us a walking tour of old Havana and um, there was, uh, you know, these guides are, are all government trained and so forth. And so they were talking about, you know, the growth of Cuba and Havana and, and what a free nation it is and all of this stuff. And so uh, we were walking around and I was really getting bored. He was talking about these different stores and you know, this is uh, where private apartments, you can buy your own land here. And it was just propaganda, propaganda, propaganda. And uh, so we, we went to all these different squares and, you know, he was showing us all these different sites and all this stuff. And, and he said, now this store is very expensive clothes in the store. It's a combination of some European designer, some Italian designer and some, somebody out of England and they developed some name brand and stores very, you know, expensive clothes, designer clothes, and then over oh, here's another store. So I went around and they gave us a few minutes to walk around and take pictures. So I went over there and I was looking through the window with my um, friends that are pastors and we were looking in the store and we were looking through the window. It was closed. And as we were looking through the window, we looked at the clothes that were on the racks and they were like, like three or four shirts and three or four pairs of pants. You know how in America, when they got those display racks, I mean, they got stuff in there you know you have to try to pull a shirt out and find your size and all that I mean they had like three or four shirts on a hanger and my friend said there's not very much inventory here I said no there sure isn't we went down to the next store we looked at the next door same thing it's closed of course I think it was some sort of a holiday they said it was similar to our Labor Day May 1st that one was closed that one was closed but as we looked in the windows at all of them the contrast between what we get used to in America where we have an abundance of stuff in the store and what they had to work with was diametrically opposed to each other. And I got to thinking about how restore is literally bringing back to a former owner or a former condition that that is a quantity or supply of something. 
that is kept for use as needed. So when we juxtapose those two things, here's what we get. Restore would be to return a quantity or supply to a former owner, place, or condition. Here's what's awesome. Now, Paul also said this as he was writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So God has this enormous store that's packed full. Now, it's not like the world. The world tries to make it look good on the outside, but when you look through the windows, you'll see there's a whole bunch of emptiness. Oh, boy, the devil tries to make it look good. He puts all kinds of coats of paint on it. He says, oh, this is really something. This is designer. This is fancy. You're going to love it. Oh, this is something. And then when you really look at what sin is offering you, it's emptiness. It's loneliness. It's heartache. It's discouragement. It's depression. But not with God. His store is packed full. My cup runneth over. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. He told David, I gave you the throne. I gave you your master's house. And if that wouldn't have been enough, I'd have given you even more. You're serving a God of abundance. He's not giving out rations. He's not just giving out a little power, a little joy, a little peace. He's a God that gives it pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He shall supply all your need. Everything you need, you can find in Jesus. Whatever you need physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, socially, everything you can find it in Christ Jesus. You don't have to go looking nowhere else. He is the super Walmart of all Walmarts. You don't have to go anywhere else. You can go right there to the Lord. Hallelujah. And everything you need, you can find. He's got it. Hallelujah. I said, he's got it. It's all in him. He's the supplier, but sometimes we need to restock the shelves. Now, the devil's a thief. The Bible said he's come to steal and to kill and to destroy. So when God created us as humans, he gave us everything we needed. He stocked his shelves. We had a warehouse of joy and peace and hope and love. It was all there in the Garden of Eden. But then sin came in the camp and stole, stole, took all the stuff, cleaned out the store. So now we need to restore. <laughs> we need to restock. And he's got enough supply for all of us, every one of us, in every situation, all of humanity. He's not running low. He can restore the person, the place, and the condition. And the great thing about God is when he restores, it's more valuable than what it was before. Have any of you ever been to the store, Restoration Hardware? It's only in big cities. We don't have them over here in Palm Bay. I think there's one in Orlando. But I love going to the store. I've never bought anything. 
but I love to look around because they can take a part of a wing of an airplane and make a beautiful desk out of it. They can take a cargo bench out of a whatever, some old B-52 bomber and turn it into a couch. And it is expensive. Woo, it's expensive and not necessarily that comfortable. I can go get in a big old fluffy lazy boy for half the cost of restoration hardware. But there's something different about their furniture. It's got, it's got character. It's got a story behind it. Woo, hallelujah. God created you. You were valuable, but you've been through some stuff, and you're more valuable now than you used to be. <laughs> we, were on, we were on this tour, this walking thing I was telling you about in Cuba, and then they wanted to go show us Cuban cigars and Cuban rum, and, and we all, we just, you know, we're pastors in our lives. We're like, we're, we're really not interested in all that. So we told the guy, we're like, we're not interested in Cuban cigars or, or Cuban rum. And all. And I, we said, we want to go and we want to get in some of them old cars and drive around. And the guy stood in the middle of Cuba and said, it's a free country. That's what he said. In Cuba, it's a free country. Now, I've heard people say that in America. I've never heard anybody in Cuba say it. It's a free country, he said. He said, just give us, you know, your names and all that so we know y'all haven't disappeared. So we gave him all that. Then he said, now, you want to hit the really nice cars, go down there and behind this and that. So we walked down there, and there was a man down there, and boy, he had a 59 Buick Limited. Ooh, I said, I want that bad boy right there. I said, how much for you to drive us around for an hour? And we negotiated a price. And he said, how many of y'all six? No, that's going to be two. We've got to get two cars. I said, all right, the girls need one too. They need a pink one. We found them a pink one. And it was a 55 Buick Super. We had a 55 Buick Limited and a 55 Buick Super. We got in them things, boy. They started that thing up. The guy told me, he said, this odometer on this car goes, you know, they go up to 100,000 miles and the odometer flips. He says it's flipped 12 times. 1.2 million miles on that 55 Buick. Well, we got that thing. They had restored it and restored it and restored it. We got that thing. It was a convertible. We're going right down the middle of Havana. That thing humming. I'm thinking to myself, this car must be worth $100,000. There is a fortune in Cuba in just restored old cars. Now, I will tell you something. That car didn't cost $100,000 in 1955 when it come off the showroom floor. It may have cost $5,000. Maybe. Probably that was even high, wasn't it? Is that about right? But now... It's got a story. It's got a heritage. Yeah, it's got a little nicks and bruises and all that, but so what? It's more valuable now because it's been restored. The devil wants to try to convince you, you've messed up, you've got some scars, you'll never be what you used to be. I've come to tell you, the devil's a liar and the father of all liars. If man can restore sheet metal, what can God do with a human heart? I'm here to tell you, God's made you more valuable 
worshiping God. Woo! Hallelujah. God, you take something that's been used and abused. Everybody else don't see no value in it. But God can make something beautiful out of it. We used to sing an old song called Something Beautiful. All of my confusion, brokenness and strife, God took it and he blessed our life and made something beautiful. So many times we get bumped around because of the cares of life. We get hurt. We get hurt in relationships. We get little nicks and bruises. And I'm going to tell you something, the longer you live, the more you accumulate that stuff. Pretty soon, you're like an old car. you got a lot of dings put in it by ding bats. <laughs> How many of you ever got a new car and taken it to Walmart or wherever and parked way out in the parking lot? <laughs> Nobody will come in and put a little ding in it with a car door. And you'll come back there and you'll go, no, 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 no. Because you see a shopping cart like a heat-seeking missile has found your new car. <laughs> Paul was telling Timothy about how disappointed he was that no one stood with him. He was making it clear he was hurt. He was disappointed. No man stood with me when I needed somebody. I didn't get any help in traveling all over the world, preaching the gospel, taking the gospel to the Gentiles. But yet when I needed a man to stand with me, I couldn't find anybody. Then Paul put a little extra mustard on it. He said, I hope God doesn't lay it to their charge. Mm. I think deep down he was saying, it's possible I can forgive them, but I don't know for sure that God will. He's saying what they had done and forsaken him was worthy of a charge. But he was praying that God would drop the charges. Boy, I don't know who he was aiming at, but it was not politically correct. Putting it in writing. Paul's being transparent here. He was done wrong. Boy, I'm amazed at how many people have been done wrong. Will you go to just start talking with folks? Oh, yeah. I used to go to church. Sister so-and-so did that, and brother so-and-so did that, and I couldn't believe it. On Easter, wore my same dress. <clears throat> Knew where I had bought it. Went down there and got it in a smaller size. Wore it to church, the same service. Man, I don't know if I can ever go back to church now. <coughs> We've all been done wrong. If you've got a couple hours, I can tell you all about mine this morning. We all have something that we can share how we feel like we were not given a fair shake. But aren't you glad the Lord took all of the wrongs and he made it all right? And so I choose to focus on everything that 
Jesus did that was right rather than all the others that have done us wrong. I can focus on all the hurt and all the pain, but when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he has done for me, This is what Paul did. He said, notwithstanding. He goes through that whole deal about how he'd been hurt. But then he says that one word, notwithstanding. Three words put together. Notwithstanding. I love that word. Notwithstanding. You want to know what it means? Take it apart. Start at the end and go forward. Standing. We know what that means. With. Standing with not. That means we're going a different direction now. That means in spite of the fact. Notwithstanding. <laughs> the Lord. Just them three words is a sermon right there. Notwithstanding my circumstances, notwithstanding the way I was raised, notwithstanding my divorce, notwithstanding everything I've been through, notwithstanding my sickness, notwithstanding I got laid off on my job, notwithstanding all the crisis and all the trials and all the trouble and everything that hell has thrown at me, notwithstanding, in spite of the fact, the Lord... I got to hurry. The Lord shows up regardless of what everybody else is doing. Now, there's three steps to this revelation, and this is the first one. He shows up. When everybody else doesn't show up, the Lord shows up. This revelation about restoration, in a nutshell, is that the Lord does the work. We think that somehow restoration is something that we initiate, something that is dependent on us. Restoration is something that God does. He restores the mind. He restores the heart because he's got an unlimited supply. Yes, we need to stock the shelves, but we do not, and this is important, we do not have to produce the product. Because every day there's new mercies. Every day there's new joy. Every day there's fresh word. Every day his mercies are renewing. And what was in the past is in the past. It's thrown away. But God is restoring and restocking every day. This is the revelation that Paul was trying to pass on to Timothy. Regardless of what others may do or not do to you, Jesus is faithful. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. The three Hebrew children went through the fire. The Lord went with them. Daniel went into the lines. Of, the Lord went with him. Everything throughout the word of God will confirm this one single fact. The Lord does not run away. He runs to. 
You may feel like friends and everybody else has walked away from you. I can assure you God has not. He comes near. He comes close. The book of Ruth starts out with unbearable sorrow, loss, disappointment. Naomi has a husband by the name of Limelech. They have two sons, Malon and Chilion. They were from Bethlehem, Judah, but because of a famine in their land, they move to Moab. They're living in a land that's foreign to them, and Elimelech dies and leaves Naomi with her two sons. And those two sons married two girls from Moab, Ruth and Orpah. Ten short years later, Naomi loses both of her sons to illness. She's left with no bloodline. She's now lost her husband and both of her sons. No family except her two daughters-in-law. And the narrative gets quiet here, but I can just imagine that Naomi begins to wonder what exactly is going on. Hurt, confusion, disappointment, disorientation. You know what, folks? Sometimes you can go through things and you get disoriented. You get what I call spiritual vertigo. You know what spatial vertigo is? That's like when you're a pilot and you, you lose the horizon and you're just flying by what they call VFR visual flight rules and, and it's all cloudy and you're flying over water. This is one reason John F. Kennedy Jr. went down off the coast of Massachusetts in that little plane. He trained right down here in Vero Beach. I talked with his instructor. He said, I tried to convince John F. Kennedy Jr. to not just fly with visual flight rules, but to get instrument training. Instrument training is where they put a hood on your head. And they force you to fly without using your natural senses. You just learn to trust your instruments. And they fly. You fly cross country. You fly, 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 fly over and over again. Because you're training your brain. Trust your instruments. No matter what your senses are telling you. Look at that artificial horizon. If that thing says you're cockeyed, you're cockeyed. Because if you don't have that, you can get vertigo. You can think you're climbing and you're diving. Because you're disoriented from the storm. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes you can go through a lot of things in this life. And if you just trust your natural senses, you get disoriented. That's why you've got to trust the instruments of the word of God. Where the Lord said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. i got to put a hood on and i got to just focus on the word of God. And I say, God, I'm going to walk by faith. I don't know how you're going to get me out of this mess. But if I need to pray, I'm going to pray. I'm going to keep going to church. I'm going to keep trusting in you, Lord. I'm not going to follow my natural impulse. Because the Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the ends of death. No doubt Naomi was in this as her daughter-in-law walked with her to the edge of town, both of them. She bids them to return to their mother's house and to find perhaps safety and shelter and new husbands. The Bible says that Ruth and Orpah lifted up their voices and wept. No doubt they were very close to her, and no doubt they were still dealing with the grief of the loss of their own husbands. It is at this point that we see the desperation in Naomi's voice, and we see the disorientation in her spirit. The hopelessness is in her words, and they still ring out even today. She looks at her daughters-in-law, and through tears she cries out, In verse 11 of Ruth chapter 4, turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? She's thinking she's got to supply the need. She's thinking she has to be the one to make all the wrongs right. She didn't realize it's God that does the work. And Ruth sticks with her. In spite of the circumstances, 
You know why? Because when I was reading this, the Lord just put it in my heart. Ruth is a type of how Christ stays close even when we have nothing to offer him. And we turn and we say, God, I can't do it anymore. I've tried. I've messed up. I can't go back to that church. I feel like a hypocrite down there worshiping God. When I know what I've done. I can't do it. And the Lord, just like Ruth, just walks with us. Those words are so beautiful. We use them in weddings now. You know how it goes. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Ruth just says, I'm sticking with you. It's not about what you can give me. It's about what I feel in my spirit. And what I feel in my spirit is I'm going to go where you go. You don't realize it, but God just walks with you. Even when you've got nothing to offer him but just a messed up collection of scars and bruises and mistakes and wrong choices, God still walks with you. God, I may have a victory dance here all by myself. God still walks with you through the fire. Even when you don't have it all right. Even when you're confused. Even when your spirit's not right. God shows up. Naomi, she's not happy with this decision by Ruth. Sometimes we're not happy with the circumstances. And we get upset because God stays close and we can feel him. And it aggravates us. Ooh, I remember when I was going to high school. I'd get up every morning. I'd hear my mom and dad praying for me. Keep your hand on my son. Man, I was in high school. I had a white Pontiac Firebird. I was 17 years old. Had the world by the tail. I saw a bumper sticker the other day. It said, hire a teenager while they still know everything. (laughs) Oh, I can remember thinking, why don't they pray? They got a whole church of people they can be praying for. Why are they praying for me? Don't you know sometimes it frustrates you that the Lord stays close. You fight against it. That's why the Lord told Paul, you're kicking against the pricks. You're standing nearby as they stone Stephen, but I got news for you. I'm standing near you. Oh, when you look back, you're glad that he stood by you. But in the midst of it all, he can make you uncomfortable. God is at work. When they arrive at their destination, all the women come out and greet them and they say, Is this Naomi? Naomi, my Naomi. Whoa. You know how women are. Whoa, you have changed. You got wrinkles and gray hair. Put on a few pounds on there. (laughs) Naomi says, I'm not Naomi anymore. My name is Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. Ruth 121, she says, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. We attribute all the bad stuff to God. God has done this to me. God has caused this to happen. No, my friend, it's just life. But God is close by. And even when you berated him, he didn't leave. He's still standing there. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Good God Almighty, I feel him in this house today. He's still standing here. You've got everything in your power to run him off. 
but he's still up in your car. He's still up in your house. He's still up in your grill. He's still putting a... Oh, my God. He's still showing up. Every time you get up and open your eyes and God gives you the breath to breathe another day, it's God showing up to say, here I am again. Why did God let me suffer? Why did I lose that relationship? Why am I sick in my body? We don't realize that God's the one who did show up. Notwithstanding all the hurt, God does not run. Chapter 2 starts out in Ruth. By name and telling Ruth, go out into the fields there, Boaz, and get what barley is left over after the reapers had gleaned and harvested the fields. Common practice in those days that the poor would gather what was in the corners that was not easily harvested. Boaz, who's a very rich man who owns the field, he's a relative of Elimelech, one of the kinsmen redeemers. In those days, if a man died without a son or someone to carry on the name, a relative could step in and provide for the widow and raise up a name bearer or an heir. Boaz is extra motivated to be the kinsman redeemer, even though he wasn't the first one in line, because he notices Ruth feels very responsible and obligated to take up his role as the kinsman redeemer. He tells the reapers and harvesters and the men that work for him, he says, when you go into those corners, he said, don't just leave whatever's left over, but throw some handfuls of purpose out there in the corner. This is the second part of the revelation of restoration. (laughs) The Lord not only shows up, he lifts up. Paul said to Timothy, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Strengthen me. See, God doesn't work like we do. Sometimes we have friends that go through hard times. We don't know what to do. So we just say, I don't, I don't, I'm just going to be here for you. I don't know what I can. I wish I could say something, make it better. I don't know. I don't know how to. But you know what? Here I am. If there's anything we can do. But God's not like that. God not only shows up. He doesn't show up and sit on the corner and wring his hands and say, oh, I just wish there was something I could do. God shows up with all power. He shows up with his warehouse. said to Timothy, he not only showed up, he strengthened me. God strengthened him. He's going to lift him up above the shadows. He's going to give you handfuls of blessings scattered here and there. You don't even realize it. It's not an accident that you got a raise. It's not an accident that you got that account. It's not an accident that you got that job in North of Grumman. It's not an accident. You say, but I'm not even where I need to be. You know what God does? God leaves a trail of breadcrumbs, of blessings. To lead you back to restoration. You go and pick that up and you think, wow, this is awesome. You go and pick that up and you're like, wow, this is awesome. You go and pick that, wow, this is awesome. You go and pick, yeah, that ain't there by accident. That didn't just fall off the truck. God put it in your path on purpose. Just to let you know I'm still here. And I got power. I'm still here. And I got authority. I'm still here. And I got a warehouse. I got blessings. I'm still here. 
And I'm not just here to be a silent partner. I'm here to bless you and to restore you. I know you've been hurt, but you've got to get a revelation. The Lord can restore all things. You've got to get a revelation. The devil don't have a right to your soul. He can't steal your soul unless you give it to him. He'll try to steal it through hurt. Somebody hurts you and he moves in for the kill. Someone offends you and he moves in. He wants to turn your hurt into bitterness and your bitterness into backsliding. He waits in the wings until you go through disappointment. Then he tries to turn disappointment into destruction. He waits until you sin and then he tries to turn your sin into a soul snatch. And take what does not belong to him. Tries to steal your soul while you're still reeling. Trying to get your footing. You ought to send a message to the gates of hell today. You can't take my kids, devil. You can't take my marriage, devil. You can't take my health. You can't take my house. You can't take my finances. Take your hands off of my stuff. God is a restorer. God is a supplier. He's going to meet all of my needs according to his riches and glory. He's going to send strength. After David sinned, it would have been easy for him to run off the rails, but Psalms 51, verse 10, he prays this incredible prayer, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Do you notice he's going back and picking up the breadcrumbs to get back where he needs to be? If you read through Psalms 51, you'll see David knew enough because he had a relationship with God. He knew enough that he had to go back and pick up certain things. Cast me not away from thy presence. I'm going to come to church even though I know I ain't done right. I'm going to come to church even though I don't feel like it. I'm going to come to church even though I probably already heard the song in the sermon. I'm going to come anyhow. I'm going to come to church because if I can get in his presence, if I can just get in his house. Where the presence of the Lord is, there is fullness of joy. There are treasures at his right hand. If I can just get into his house. He says, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. If I've got your house and I've got your holy presence, I can get back on track. Then he says in verse 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I'm praying that God would restore some people's joy in this house today. You've been carrying too much too long. It's time to get your joy back. I'm going to say it again. It's time to get your joy back. It's time to get your joy back. My joy and your joy is restored when we begin to worship. When I give this body to worship, my living sacrifice, it produces joy. That's the restoration of my senses. That's the restoration of my mind. You may have given this body to the world. You may have given your worship in a club, on a dance floor somewhere. But now you are restoring your strength because you're offering up your body as a living sacrifice to God and he will restore your strength. Stand to your feet. The third
third thing that he does, he shows up, he lifts up, and he keeps up. He gives you your future back. And the Lord, Paul said, shall deliver me. Everybody say shall. From every evil work, shall. Everything coming at me in the future. He's already got me in his safe pavilion. He's going to deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me. Keeps me. Preserves me. Unto his heavenly kingdom. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. Marries her and restores an heir to the family with a child, Obed. Finally, Naomi gets the revelation of restoration. Ruth 4 and 14, and the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord. Sometimes the revelation has to come through godly friends. Blessed be the Lord who hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name Maybe he's got your future, Naomi. Maybe famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee. Put it up there, verse 15. I want you to see it. He shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life. And a nourisher of thine old age. Get an amen from somebody that's in their 50s plus. He's not going to leave you when you become old and the knees don't work like they should. And your body can't cash the check that your brain is trying to write. I used to preach and jump off this platform. When I do it now, the last time I did it and I landed, <laughs> every joint in this body that's got worn out washers landed and went, no! I see the beauty of stairs. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people in their elderly years that are bitter, made up of a lifetime of regrets and hurt, estranged from family members. But I've been to a lot of hospital rooms with old saints of God whose voices are frail. Muscles deteriorated, but there's still a song in their heart. And with what strength they have in their hospital bed, they can lift up a hand and they'll just start to pray, and you can feel the presence of God. <laughs> Sweeps down in that room. Why? Because he's a nourisher of my old age. He doesn't give up on you. 
still there. He's still there. He's still working. He's still preserving. For thy daughter-in-law, Naomi, which loveth thee, which is better than thee than seven sons, what God does, it's better than what you had before. born Obed and Obed has a son named Jesse Jesse has a son named David and Jesus is described by blind Bartimaeus as the son of David the son of Obed what you gonna do with this now Naomi your needs and now he's preserved your future and Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it Naomi got the revelation she took that promise and without saying a word her action spoke volumes What are you going to do with this revelation today? You're going to take this baby close to you? You're going to hold it in your bosom? Or are you going to turn that child away? Walk away? God has not forsaken you. He has shown up when everybody else walked away. He's lifted you with strength and virtue. He has supplied your needs and now... He wants to give you an inheritance and be your kinsman redeemer. Keep you forever and ever. Will you take that baby? Will you hold that close to your heart? Will you nourish it? Will you take this into your spirit and bring it close? God restore every hurt and every pain and every disappointment. When she took that baby and nursed it, she recognized she was making herself vulnerable one more time to being hurt. She couldn't turn away. It was obvious. This was the promise is a God who wants to preserve your future. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I feel God talking to people's hearts right now. God is calling you. Put this word in your spirit and in your mind, your heart today. I wonder if you would take that baby in your arms and would you step out from where you're standing? Would you walk to the front of this building? Say, I want to nourish it going to just discard what I've heard today. We'll put it in my spirit. Come on. Come on, just trust God. He won't hurt you. Come on, let him preserve you.
man, but he's always been meeting your needs day by day, calling you and drawing you. This altar is open to you. Here I come, Lord. Oh, that's beautiful. Come on, everybody. Just step out. Press down as close as you can. Come on, God's not done. God's not keeping you at arm's length. He's reaching. He's drawing. He's calling. Come on, if I can just get in his presence. If I can just get in his altar. If I can just be led one more time by the Spirit. Come on, the joy is going to return. Through my worship, the joy will return.